welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. Hey, this is Rich Stats from Secret Stash. We provide on-demand web development to creative agencies. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the Remote Work Drive podcast, Rich. To dive right in, what's the most exciting thing you're working on these days? I think at the moment, the most exciting thing is just building out the U.S.-based team that we have, which would be a client-facing management team. Uh, Up until recently, the majority of our staff has been in Ukraine and have been all developers. Awesome. And for those who might be not super, super familiar with Secret Stash, can you maybe describe a little bit about what your team structure looks like today? Yeah, so we have, uh, including myself, 14 of us, uh, 10 are developers based out in Ukraine, scattered throughout the entire country. However, the majority are in Kyiv, which is right around the, in the center of the country. We provide on-demand web development to creative agencies. So our developers are broken up into back-end developers, front-end developers, and JavaScript specialists. And then more recently, uh, we've started to build out the client-facing team, uh, which will be uh, account management, project management, et cetera. And including myself, there's four of us. Awesome. Can you, I can imagine kind of making that shift to having more kind of account managers. Can you maybe kind of talk a little bit about what that shift was like and how you kind of go about that hiring process? Yeah, I think it it's, you know, it's, it's only really possible for us to do this recently. Just we've grown and matured as a company where we can afford to do that. You know, obviously one of the benefits of outsourcing the development to another country is that it can be more cost-effective as an early stage company. Um, it, you know, it's pretty cost prohibitive to start with developers here. And so it's also true with management as well. And so up until 2022, it was really just me handling all the brunt of that, which at some point became a little bit overwhelming. And so the process is, you know, it's it's mostly word of mouth, to be honest. I I we we hired our first um W2 employee in 2022 and uh you know, we had gone through the process of putting together a LinkedIn ad and, you know, all the the different various uh, uh, job recruiting software that you can, you know, add your job description to. But it ended up being through a uh, recommendation of an agency uh, where we hired Anastasia. Anastasia, in fact, is is from Ukraine, but she's in Denver uh, on a uh, not 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 a refugee visa, but uh, something similar to that. She has a, a work um a work authorization card uh, and a social security number, but it's a temporary um, status. And so she'll be here for a couple of years while the war is on in Ukraine and then eventually go home. Um, and then since then it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, one after the other, it was all just through referrals. So I think we've been kind of fortunate in that regard because, um, you know, we haven't had to go really through the super traditional, you know, like sifting through resumes and then qualifying and then narrowing it down uh, although we did do that while Anastasia was part of that that group, but we didn't have to get very far because we we interviewed her and then pretty much offered her offered their job not that far not that long after. Yeah, I feel like that's actually more common than many people would think. Can you? I can imagine going from you doing all of the account management to then bringing somebody on could be a little bit of a process. What did that actually look like to make sure a you were you know finding someone who would be a good fit for it and B, 
how you actually manage to kind of off to to onboard them and set them up for success. Yeah, so I I, I didn't mention, but we had a, a consultant. Her name's Chris Ford. Uh, she's uh, you know, been in the WordPress community for as long as I have, 15 years. We met each other years and years and years ago at a conference, um, a WordPress business conference. And so we've kept in touch. And when I knew that I was going to start hiring uh, and I knew that I was going to hire juniors, uh, we engaged with her to come in as a consultant and to help us build out the department. Uh, she has experience working with some of the larger WordPress development shops. And so I didn't really do any of the onboarding at all. She worked with us for about a year to absorb herself in the company, figure out whatever our nuances were, but then she brought all of her experience and then built out what that management team probably would need to look like, the department, the efficiencies, the tools, the processes. And then when we hired Anastasia, she trained and mentored Anastasia for six months. You know, we were fortunate to have the the finances do that. Uh, And then, you know, when the tenure of that contract was over, Anastasia was pretty much ready to go. And, um, you know, I wish I, I wish you could give, I mean, maybe the, maybe the answer is find a consultant and help you, help you do it. Um, because that's what we did. Uh, and it's worked out really well. Yeah. That's super smart. And kind of shifting gears a little bit. I know that like, obviously your team being mostly in Ukraine and obviously, unfortunately with the war going on over there, can you maybe talk through some of the like ways that you had to kind of like, you know, help just like, you know, kind of help with your team and manage like any of the kind of the setbacks that do come about having, you know, team members in a country, unfortunately, going through a war? Yeah. So, you know, I'm reluctant to say things have been okay because, you know, I don't have to actually go through that day to day. When the war started, we, uh, you know, pretty much immediately anticipated that our velocity of work would go down. So we just basically prepared for that. We started by just reaching out to all of our clients and letting them know what the situation was. We've always been very transparent and open uh, about the fact that our development team is in Ukraine. We don't we don't look at it like a crutch at all. We're we're proudly international. Uh, so it wasn't a surprise to our agency clients, and none of them uh, had any issue with it. But we did reach out to say, hey, look, even if we're under contract with projects, you know, we're we're not going to enforce these contracts if you'd like to pull them from us and and find somebody else, you know, that's perfectly fine under the circumstances. Uh, like I said, nobody, nobody took us up on that, but we prepared for it. Nonetheless, uh, you know, we, we basically assumed that there were going to be potentially large periods of time where there wouldn't be Wi-Fi. And, uh, and so at first we basically just, you know, started to think about how do we create a safe environment? We, we imported a bunch of generators from EcoFlow. We imported a couple Starlinks with the intention of, you know, having a, a spot near Kiev and a spot near Lviv or closer out towards Poland uh, to be, you know, a place where everyone could go, you know, anyone who needed to relocate, we helped them financially do that. Uh, but most people didn't really want to leave. And so a lot of that was sort of just preparation that never actually got utilized. We just let everyone know that if they they didn't have to work, they didn't they didn't have to work, you know, or if they couldn't work, they didn't have to work, that we would continue to pay them and that, you know, we would make sure that their safety came first. And it was just sort of like a work in progress. As things became necessary, we just helped where we could. But really all we could do is help financially. I mean, there's nothing that we could do outside of that. It turns out that you can do quite a bit if you have a little bit of money, but um, you know, it it really is just to, to remove that extra level of pain, I guess, that they had. Uh, but we were fortunate nobody got displaced. 
for the most part, the Wi-Fi stayed up and, you know, we continued to move along, not as usual, but, you know, at some sort of pace that didn't really affect us in terms of, you know, uh, projects and things like that. I don't think about it as much as I did every morning in the first year I woke up, there's a a website that you can check to see where the air, air raids are happening. Just so like I would start my day sort of understanding what the, you know, what the landscape looked like for that. And for the last six months or so, it, it's been almost unnoticeable from my end. You know, obviously it's not been like that for the team, but as we go into winter, I think we're going to start to see it become more of an issue again. So uh, we'll, we'll go through the same uh, spiel again of, you know, making sure that everyone has generators and everyone has like enough food and, you know, wherever we can help, we will, but, you know, you sort of feel helpless over here because there's not, there's not a ton that you can really do. And you just sort of like hope and pray that, that things just kind of work out. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's, there's not much else that I can really get in front of. Really, it's more just to, you know, being able to kind of lead with empathy and making sure that team members have, are supported and doing whatever you can do to help with that. Kind of a follow-up question to all of that, which is, are there things that you've kind of done from just like a team building and culture and morale standpoint to try to like keep everyone feeling super engaged and supported, even in let's say a not so ideal circumstance? I'm terrible at that type of stuff. We are we are working on more of a you know, you know, because we never met. You know, it's a it's a completely virtual company, uh, and and so that there's not a whole lot of camaraderie with you know like offline type communication between the the Ukraine team and the and the US team. But Alex, who's the number two in the company, who's in Kiev, who runs the development team, he's done a lot uh, to to meet up with everybody and, and try to to build up that culture there. Uh, you know, the goal would be that once the war ends um, and you know we have some time to sort of get settled uh, with whatever new reality that is, uh, that we would we would do something in person and start to build that. I've done a a state of the union type, you know, presentation, uh, just to talk about things like what, you know, I, I sort of considered to be the core values of the company and, and, and sort of where I see the company going. And, and the goal would be to do that, you know, once a year or, or twice a year to just make sure that there's some sort of pulse there, but, uh, it's just not a, a thing that I've ever been very, very good at. And so as the team grows and people start to present that that is a a thing that they're interested in you know i'll i'll just you know have those people get more involved in it you know it's uh, it's sort of uh, you know those types of like team building type cultural tasks are are tough for me so you know i do them because they're they're important and i try to be deliberate but it's it, they, they don't come as naturally to me as they do to some others so i try to see those those tendencies in others and then put them in charge or give them the autonomy to to, to lead with that type of stuff yeah, that's super smart, seeing someone who is a leader and then kind of empowering them to take ownership over that. Um, you said something really interesting there, which was about kind of the state of the state of the union. So you do once or twice a year. Can you share a little more about that? How you started to get into it and maybe your process for how you kind of think about and deliver that? Yeah, so, you know, with the idea of growing the company, you know, you always hear this saying that if you don't, if you're not deliberate about culture, the culture will happen without your say. And so, you know, that's something that I think that we're at that size where we have to be deliberate about at least making sure that everyone understands where we're headed and 
you know, like what values are important to us and so that we could lead with those values. And, um, you know, I, the, the core values of Secret Stash are really just my core values. And so I just put them down on paper and just talked through them. I introduced everyone on the team to each other, right? Because now that the team is the size that it is, uh, even even the the team in Ukraine, they they haven't all met each other. And so it was a way for us to just say that this is who we are. Um, this is a little bit about each of us. It was just like, you know, a, a presentation that I, I didn't do it live uh, because everyone's in different time zones. And, but I'm trying to think like, uh, you know, I did, uh, you know, sort of like these were, you know, this is the history of the company. You know, the company started out as just like my freelance moniker. And then over time it evolved into what it is today, but it was a very slow process. And so I kind of just showed out the timeline and, you know, when everyone started, uh, we, we, you know, we're very fortunate, you know, um, most of the people on our team have been there for a long time. Our longest running employee, her name is Victoria. Uh, she's been with us for nine years, maybe approaching 10 years. And then Alex, who I mentioned was our number two, he's been with us for eight years. And then, you know, just five years for Dimitri, I think. And so it's just, we we have a lot of retention in terms of our employees. Um, and I wish I could tell you why, but I think it's, you know, just a matter of providing a good opportunity, paying well, being fair, and just having a challenging job that leads to growth potential. So it was just laying out all of that. And then of course, laying out sort of like where the future was for us, where we were trying to grow, uh, what we were trying to accomplish, who our clients are, right? You know, a lot of times the development team or any of the production team, they don't really engage at all with the client. And so they're really just doing work that's presented to them through a project management tool. And so we got the opportunity to just say, hey, when we talk about this person, this is this is who they are. And here's a photo of them, you know, and and this is the company they work for so that we can sort of normalize a lot of these things that are otherwise pretty much black and white, right? They're, they're just names on paper otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it actually speaks volumes to you as a leader to be able to have so many people on your team who have been there for extended periods of time. Are there any books or like courses that have like helped you as a leader? I've always been into leadership. So I've always been part of leadership training and leadership institutes. When I was living in the Vail Valley, there was a an organization called the Vail Leadership Institute that later rebranded as the Vail Center. And I had the opportunity to be in round tables with, because I was in the Vail Valley, I was completely out of my element there. I was in a mastermind group with the COO of Beaver Creek, I think, or something like that, runner up to top chef first top chef. And I was just a freelance developer. I mean, I had no business being there, but because it was such a small community and there weren't a whole lot of people that were interested in that thing, I kind of just fell into it. So just being part of leadership groups um, and then just those retreats and, you know, the exercises that you do, we would meet on like a monthly basis, you know, and, and there would be a curriculum that went along with it. Uh, in terms of books, no, you know, I, I tend to find just people who I think are doing it well and, and just sort of pay attention to what they're up to online our communities are small enough where if you if you know someone, you can probably talk to them at a conference and get to know them. Uh, more recently, though, we're doing a motivation assessment with the management team, and that was uh, introduced to us through um, Chris Lemma at his conference that you and I attended in Cabo, called Cabo Press. Uh, so Chris and uh, another guy, Rod Penner, um, are doing this um it's a it's an assessment like the strengths finder 
but with a focus on motivation. And so we are in the very, very early days of, of doing that. We've all done our assessments and in a couple of weeks after the holiday, after Thanksgiving, we'll, we'll do our workshops. So anytime I see stuff like that, like I'll, I'll do those types of things, but uh, I just, you know, I, one of my majors in college was literature. And so I, I just don't read as much as I, I used to. And I tend to find a lot of those books to be like really interesting in the early days of starting a business. But now that we are where we are, I need something that's very specific to be in like an exceptional read, you know? So yeah, unfortunately I don't have any, <laughs> anything specific there. I think you shared a lot of things that are really specific there. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, like you mentioned kind of getting into kind of a leadership like mastermind very, very early on when you were still kind of a freelance developer turning into maybe an agency. Were there any really surprising things that you learned back then from being part of that group that you maybe have stuck with you all these years? Yeah, I mean, it's, no one knows what they're doing at all. And I think that we tend to think that there are people who have just figured it out, but I don't know. I've I've met a lot of really successful people. And if you talk to them for more than 20 minutes, you can realize that they're guessing too. So I don't know. if you If you start with core values, I think that maybe you know, something that isn't discussed enough is the, is the, you know, if, if you were to just ask someone, do you have core values? They probably say yes. But if you were to say define them, they probably can't. Um, so there are the, the, the thing that I learned from that specific leadership institute, we would do this exercise. It was called, um, well, it used a, a technique that was a deck of cards and, but whatever it was like 52 cards in a deck or something like that. And so half of those cards would be head values and the other half would be heart values. And the exercise would be to go through that deck of cards and over a series of rounds, you would narrow those cards to three or five words or phrases in some cases, right? And those would be your core values. And then you can sort of start to define everything around those core values. So if you have a hard decision to make, you know, you can look at the options and which ones are more or less in aligned with your core values, right? And so by building up, a, I think it's like a really confident scenario where you know those core values is probably the first thing to do. And then, you know, after that, it's just, I think, aligning yourself with people who share those core values in the early days, right? So in the early days, it's it's really important. I think this is just an opinion, but that you find people who are like you in that sense. And then as you grow, I think the idea of that type of, you know, thought diversity becomes more important at first, you just need people to get in line and do a certain thing, and it's, it's based off of your vision. But then at some point, you'll probably reach a, a point of diminishing returns with that type of mentality, and you need people to question a lot of the stuff that you do. And so that's where I think that thought diversity comes in. And it also will give you the ability to sort of uh, better communicate with people. If you understand what their core values are, you might approach them in different ways, right? We tend to think of the world through our own sort of lens of those values, but and we and we look through it as like an absolute truth, right? Where it's certainly not. And so if you understand somebody else's values and if they're not exactly your values, you might approach that communication in a different way so that it more aligns to their values or like so you could see like why they may think a certain way, especially if it's something that conflicts with the way that you think. And the more that you do that, I think the more that you can just understand people and then be a little bit more empathetic. And I think one of the biggest issues that we have is that there are too many people who think logically about things without empathy. And I don't know anything logical about human behavior, right? It's 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 very illogical, very rational. So logic without empathy, I feel like just misses human nature. And so by 
like understanding uh, understanding the the values of other people. I think that that's how you develop empathy naturally, or it becomes a muscle memory, so that you can start to sort of see things through different perspectives. And I don't know, maybe that just helps you uh, have a better, broader understanding of the world generally. And then you know, business is just a small piece of that, so yeah. it can maybe become a little bit simpler. Absolutely. And what are your core values? So I, the, my three top core values, uh, one, number one is lifelong learning. Uh, the second is resilience or perseverance, depending on my mood. But I generally think of them as being the same and then community. Um, but with community, it's it's not, you know, a geographical community. It's sort of like the subcultures that I implement myself in or, you know, so it would be like the WordPress community or, you know, the micro comp community or the bootstrapper community. And and like when I was a kid, it was a skateboard community, a snowboard community, the punk rock community, hip hop, stuff like that. You know, it's those little tiny subcultures. And then I just absorbed myself in them. And so, you know, when WordPress became the thing that I wanted to do, like I had to become, you know, immersed in that community. And I did. And, and so now I have a lot of friends and colleagues that are, you know, part of that community and it makes navigating that community a little bit easier. Right. And so same thing with you know, the bootstrapper community, uh, you know, like um, Rob Walling and MicroConf and all those uh, different avenues, you know, I had to implement myself there. And, you know, one of my most important mastermind groups was uh, basically a, um, a, you know, a a group of guys that I met through MicroConf years and years and years ago. So, yeah. Awesome. And how did you you've kind of mentioned those three values. How, like how naturally did those kind of values come together? And also in the earliest days of when you were hiring at the very earliest days of Secret Stash, how did you kind of evaluate, you know, other people to ensure they kind of would mesh well with the culture you were building? Yeah. So this is only very recently because when we were hiring in the early days for development, I didn't, it didn't really matter. Um, you know, and by, by the way, like the fact that everyone's in Ukraine is a happenstance of Alex, um, Alex, who is, I think I mentioned our number two prior to, he, he made the decision to, to bring everyone in to Ukraine for efficiency's sake, but also because he was sick and tired of, you know, the poor quality or the, um, inconsistent quality, I guess is probably the better way of saying it, of developers throughout other areas, right? And including US and Canada, we hired here as well. And they were more expensive and, you know, often cases less qualified, or at least they did they did work that would suggest they were less qualified, I suppose. Um, but uh now when we're when we're hiring for the US based team and I actually have a little bit more control over it, you know, like it's just a matter of just dropping in just random questions like which of the following would be more important to you. And you can just drop in a, you know, one is your core value and one is your your isn't your core value. And I guess you'll know there. But I don't know. I I I at this point I don't I don't expect everyone to have the same core values as long as they're aligned with those core values for the business. Um, you know, because if they're in direct conflict with their core values, they wouldn't want to join the company. So it's almost more important just to let them know what yours are and let them self-select in and out of the interview process as a result of that. But it turns out that, you know, like you, you, you might just get a good vibe from somebody who's a lifelong learner. Um, you know, one of the things that we have, have started to implement, it's not officially implemented, but it, it's something that we've been working on is this concept of like a bounty system within the company. 
So one of the things that I thought about was like, you know, Enron had some nice mission statements and core values too, I'm sure, right? But they didn't they didn't live through those values. And so if lifelong learning is an important quality and it's something that we want our team to embody, then you probably need to put a system in place to help them do that. And so the bounty system is essentially a tiered system where if you learn something new, something that's challenging, but it can be in, you know, easy, medium, hard, you know, type context that you win a bounty. And uh, in some cases that might be money. In some cases that might be time off. In some cases that might be like a gift certificate. Uh, And really it would depend on how hard and how long it took to get there. And so I think by instilling types of situations like that, you can allow your core values to sort of live in a more organic way within the company, as opposed to just having them as words that maybe are on the wall or on your website or something like that. Absolutely. And when you were hiring for kind of in your U.S. management team, were there any kind of go-to questions that you always like to ask um, to kind of get a better feel for someone's, you know, values or, you know, what they're going to be the most passionate about and if they are going to be a good fit? No, you know, I, I don't think I do a good job interviewing. I don't think I do it the way that, you know, somebody who's in HR for their entire career would do it. Uh, I also don't have any muscle memory as to how you're supposed to do it. I never actually had a real job. So all of this is sort of just going off of what feels right to me. And so far it's worked out okay. Um, you know, one of the things that we've been pretty adamant about is hiring from within. And so we only really hire junior and then we train up. And then if there's a management position, we'll hire from within to fulfill that management position. And so I think when you're hiring at a junior level, the experience doesn't matter. Anyone can be taught to do the job that needs to be done at that level. And so really just hiring somebody who you can see yourself working with for hopefully a long time, you know, the shelf life of, you know, an employee in America is like 18 months, I think in the tech world, which is ridiculous in my opinion. You know, there was a time when, you know, you got a job and you worked for 20 years and there was mutual benefit in that relationship. And the company cared about the human and the human cared about the company. 20 years later, they got their gold watch and everyone was happy. And now 18 months is the shelf life. And so part of, you know, my philosophy, if there is such a thing is really just like, how do we create that again? How do we create a company that, you know, you can see yourself working for, for your entire career, you know, whether or not that happens is sort of out of everyone's control or certain circumstances that will, you know, require somebody to leave. For instance, Secret Stash never plans to be a big company. And so there will be a ceiling for everybody. And if ambition exceeds that ceiling, then they're going to have to leave and we will help them find that next job. But if there is a way for us to build a company that gives somebody the opportunity to stick around for a really long time and it's mutually beneficial and exciting and all those things, then really all it comes down to is like, you, is this the type of person that you want to work with for 20 years, right? And so, I don't know, I feel like that's a much simpler scenario, right? Like you can get a good vibe from somebody, you know, we always talk about first impressions being pretty important, right? Well, if not the first, well, the first few, you should get an idea of who this person is. And is it someone you want to work with? Again, if you're hiring at the junior level, their experience doesn't matter, their background doesn't matter, right? It's really just, do they have that thing? And a lot of times that thing would be, probably aligned to a core value. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, I'm guessing, you know, when you are hiring a junior, if they are a lifelong learner, then naturally you're going to, yeah, they're naturally probably going to, you know, 
want to progress within their role and maybe take on additional roles within the company. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that would be the that would be the the goal for sure. Awesome. I could continue chatting about kind of team building for a while, but I also um know we're getting kind of close to time and I always like to ask a couple of lightning round questions towards sure. the end. If you could have dinner with any historical figure, who would you choose and why? Oh man. Does it have like historical in what sense? <laughs> like how I mean, just back? anyone who's no longer living right now. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> everyone's gonna hate my answers. Nipsey Hustle, <laughs> who was a who was a hip hop artist who was killed uh from LA, who uh, I didn't know about until after he passed away, but I started to follow and and he is the epitome of entrepreneurship from a level that many people will not understand, but um, check him out. I will definitely do that. I love asking that question because I literally get different answers pretty much every single time. If you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you end it about? Uh, I think I would write about it generally in the leadership space. I think one of the, the things that's interesting to me now is this transition from being a freelancer into an agency you know we're we're going on 17 years and i would say only in the really in the last couple of years has it felt like an agency versus a, a freelance and you know i have some thoughts on that whole transition and the mentality that you need but um yeah i won't be writing a book anytime soon that's for sure if you were a torah operator for a day on any niche topic but it can't be about web development wordpress entrepreneurship none of that anything else what would you give a tour on and why? Snowboarding. Awesome. And it's been great chatting with you. Where can listeners find you online? Oh, good luck. I don't really pay attention to social media very much, but um, my handle is Rich Stats on Twitter or X, I guess now. Um, I probably would check that the most often, maybe LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the Remote Work Tribe podcast, Rich. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.